This episode of Jesus Walks on Wall Street is the second half of my interview with David Bennett. The second half of the interview is even better than the first, and I know if you listened to the last episode, you got a lot out of what David was saying to us. So let's rejoin the conversation right where we left off with David Bennett. You're listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street, where real people working in the finance industry talk about life, work, and faith with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart. You've been very successful in the industry. You've done well. You make a lot of money for the bank. You make a lot of money for yourself. And so I wanted to say that to the listener because we've described so far your kingdom-mindedness, your, your ministry opportunity perspective. You're praying for people. Everyone knows that your identity is in Christ. And it could be that someone might have the perception, oh, that guy's the company Jesus freak. But what I want the listener to understand is that you've also um, been able to experience financial success as well and career success. So those two things have not been at odds with each other. Um, and you're talking now about God being the one who provides, which is different than this performance mindset we were talking about before, where it's kind of the elbows are out, you have to outcompete everybody around you, yet you walk in the doors and you have Jesus front and center, the one who laid down his life for others, the one who wasn't self-advancing, yet you've also been blessed with success. Can you help maybe help the listener understand how those two ideas aren't contrary to one another? You see what I'm saying? I do. But for, first, I want to go back to something. I want to go back to before I was born again, because I was working... I was at, you know, the, the top of my game, um, being advanced, doing very well um, at my level, doing very well financially, working at, you know, one of the top banks in the world. And this was before I came to Christ, before I was born again. So this was in my 20s and 30s. But I want to talk more about the end of my 30s before I became born again, because this is where it really mattered. I was all about more money. I was all about more um, promotion. Everything I was focused on at the end was I needed more money. I needed to be promoted. And I had enough money and promotion more than most people, but it was never enough. And I was battling serious depression. And I didn't even know I was dealing with depression until, um, you know, my wife started to, you know, open my eyes to what was going on and how I was behaving but it literally took me to a place that I was an absolute wreck. And, you know, I felt rejected because I wasn't being promoted to the level I wanted to. I felt rejected because I wasn't getting what I wanted in the industry. But in the meantime, I had everything that I really needed in, or that, you know. Financially? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had more than, than anyone should ever have. It was, it was really ridiculous looking back to think that I needed more. Yet, yet you felt incomplete. I felt, I was so sad and so miserable and so out of whack and so lost. I was so lost. And um, it really brought me to my knees where it was causing problems between me and management, myself and uh, management. And so, you know, they, they, they saw me, me falling apart. I saw myself falling apart. And um, it wasn't until I came to Christ that I even understood any of this stuff because I needed God to show me 
what was going on because I didn't have the ability to do it. I needed him to show me it. I needed Jesus to shine a light on the darkness. Mm. And so once I became born again and Jesus showed me the way, the light, then all that went away. The, the, the worldly needs were no longer my interest. What became my interest was his ways, the kingdom mm. ways, which, you know, is really what the Holy Spirit does. When you invite the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it changes you from the inside out. And it was changing me day by day, month by month, you know, just realizing that these ways, this performance, you know, I was I was the top performer. I was one of the, you know, highest producers in our group at the top of my game. But the performance and my ego and my defense mechanism and all the things that I had learned through growing up in my town and, and in this world were crumbling very fast. Mm. And I thank God that he showed me, um, you know, what was going on because I had really no idea and I didn't know where to go. And through that brokenness, he came and he pursued me and he shined the light and what really matters. And so then I was able to let that stuff go. And when I let that stuff go, God, God came and brought so much peace and so much love into the equation that the rest of the stuff just melted away where my interests weren't on performance, ego, ego maniac and, you know, being promoted and, you know, getting ahead in the world. What it became were kingdom things, not worldly things. And so that was seven years ago. And God has given me more blessing and opportunity at work than I had the previous, you know, years before that. And so it does. It doesn't necessarily, you know, it's important to know that um, because I gave my life to Jesus, my work environment changed. Did it change? It changed in the way I saw the world, the way I, I brought Jesus into life. But it didn't change my success, if you will. Mm-hmm. But the success of, of things of this world are not my, my motivators anymore, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I'm just picturing you now. You have a whole new perspective. You're still doing the same job. You still have just as much success, if not more. And you have this peace about you now. Yeah. And when you look around at all the people working around you, I'm assuming you see many of them who are still operating the way you were operating before you met Christ. Yeah. And so what do you say to them? Do you wait for an opportunity where they trust you in order to speak into that? I mean, do you walk around, you know, preaching? I mean, how does it actually show me logistically how you try to um, share this perspective that you've found with those who don't yet have it? So it comes in many, many ways. There's times where I'll walk around and I'll see someone going through something and I'll engage them. But I would honestly tell you that I've had more people engage me than I've engaged them Mm -hmm. that said, do you have some time? Um, I even have my managers come up to me and say, hey, can you go spend time with so-and-so? Not about business, but we'd like you to go do what you do. So, you know, management has recognized that there's a personal side to me that wants to speak love and truth into people. 
and to, to bring them back because there's a tremendous amount of pressure and stress and depression and addictions and divorce and everything that you know this world has is, is all over that training floor. I had a gentleman stay after a meeting. There was 50 of us in a morning meeting and the meeting lets out and I'm, I always wait for everyone to leave before I leave. And there was a guy standing behind me. I, I knew the guy. I wasn't close with him, but I knew who he was. And he said, how you doing? I said, I'm great. And he sat down and he just started to unload. And he said that he felt trapped. So uh, job entrapment is a very common thing in our business. Mm-hmm. And Describe I'll, that. So people feel that without their job situation that they can't continue to um, you know, exist the way they exist. So what I would say is they feel that their identity is in their job. And that's a common question I ask people at work where we, you know, I quickly realize that they feel trapped in their jobs. They feel like they can't leave their job because then they won't have the same amount of income if they leave. Mm-hmm. And that income you know, really defines the level of the way they're living and that they you know, can't afford to step back from that or they don't want to step back from that. This was a man who said to me, I feel trapped. And he said, I don't like working here. It makes me feel sick. Um, I, you know, my wife has cancer. Um, you know, I'm trying to raise my children. Um, you know, he went as far to tell me that um, he's trying to raise his children in a way to tell them that the world's really tough and that they need to toughen up. And um, so we, we spoke a lot about that. But he really opened up and just threw it out on the table. And I asked him, I said, is your identity in this job? Because that's a very, very common thing on, on Wall Street is the right, your identity is who you are um, within the rankings of, of the arena. And I'm sure it's like that in other industries too. But, you know, as you, you know, move into certain positions, people feel certain power. And um, he felt trapped and he didn't want to be trapped. But I asked him, is your identity in this job? Because that's where I thought we should start. I've probably had 20 identity, job identity um, discussions on the floor. And so once we get through that, you know, that, you know, that being your identity is not where you want to go. And I always share my testimony with them and um, tell them where my identity is. I'm not there. I am there to love them, but I'm also there to tell the truth. I don't believe you can have one without the other. I believe if someone wants to be set free, to be healed, that, that you have to go to, through Jesus to do that. And so whether they're an atheist, a, a Jewish person, a Muslim, it doesn't matter. I'm always going to share the love and truth of Jesus Christ. And I share it from a point of view of my own testimony, that how he set me free. Um, and my identity was in my job. And so I know where they're coming from. But um, this man went home, and he quickly realized he had been teaching his children the, the wrong ideas. Mm. And um, we talked a lot about God. And he said, yes, my wife believes in God. And he ended up writing down a prayer at the end of the meeting, and he put the prayer into his computer, and it would pop up every morning to remind him that, you know, who God says he is, and wow. that his identity was really in who God says he is, not through what goes on outside on there on that training floor. And he, he said, I can't wait to go home to tell my children that I've been teaching them the wrong thing. And so, you know, we really got into a lot of biblical stuff. And, you know, he believed in God, so that was an easier conversation. I've had a lot of conversations with men and women that aren't believers. 
And again, it, it has to come from love and truth. I'll give you one other um, good one. There was a woman who has been walking around the floor who has got really chronic Lyme's disease. I had asked her many times, you know, just observing her, I could see the pain that she was going through. So I had asked her if I could pray for healing. So I prayed for her many, many times. And one time we were in a room and she wanted to give her life back to Christ. And she, I had her face, we were in, in the corner of the uh, trading floor in, in a glass office. So I just had her face the outside, but she gave her life to Christ right there on the trading floor and just started bawling and she repented. And she was just asking for, for Christ to heal her. And I was asking for Christ to heal her. And there was so much love in the room. And I had brought in other brothers in with me because I feel it's good to do it, you know, more important to do it as a group. And um, it was really, really touching, you know, to see right there on the trading floor for her to come to Christ and to, for us to all just stand in the gap for her healing from Lyme's disease. And we're still praying for her. I haven't mm-hmm. seen her healed yet, but we're still praying for her healing. In these two stories you've just told, I see you helping people find their identity, not in their job and not even in their health, but they're finding it in Christ. You know, if yeah. she gets healed, that's great, but she, she did repentance of sins, and so she's finding her foundation. What an amazing gift, because if you think about, especially for the, the man that you talked about, if his identity was in the success of his job, I mean, we all can see those charts, right? The the Dow Jones and the other ones that you guys follow. It's literally a chart on the screen in front of you. And if it goes up, you feel good. And if it goes down, you feel bad. And depending on all the trades you're making that day, if you're making money, you feel great. And if you're losing money, you feel awful. If your identity is in that, then your identity and your happiness and your wholeness is dependent on this, this flimsy thing. But if you're doing that same job and your identity is in this fixed point outside of the whole industry, this fixed point is Jesus and he's unchanging then I can see how that can free. You talked about freedom a couple of times. It frees someone up, right? It's not yeah. going to ruin their day if they have a bad work day yep. because they have a sure foundation. Now, I want to talk about something else. I'm going to shift gears real quick and talk about, you've been mentioning you know, the, the, the non-Christians, the people of other faiths, and, and all these people that you do ministry with, but I also have witnessed that the other Christians who work, at least at your workplace, are being influenced by you a little bit as well. I remember the day that I came and visited you, I saw, you know, 20 yards away or something like that, a young man. He actually used to be a student of mine years ago. I had no idea he was working there. There he was. Hey, hey, Peter. And I walked over and I greeted him and he was all smiles. And he mentioned to me how important it was for him that he worked with you. And he was inspired by you. He felt emboldened to, you know, reveal his Christian identity among the people that he works with. So you have a, an influence in a ministry, not just with the non-Christians and the people whose identity is in the wrong place, but you also influence people of faith. Do you want to talk, say anything about that? Yeah, it's funny because most days, for most of the years, I always walked in looking you know, to help the lost, the non-Christians. And when I realized... Um, you know, through praying with many, many people and, and uncovering who the different Christians on the trading floor were, what I realized through them sharing with me was that I was showing them what it looked like to be a Christian in the work in, in the work environment. And some of the younger men said, you know, I really struggled between my faith and work because I didn't know how to express my faith in the workplace, but you showed me how. Yeah. And what came out of that were prayer groups, and so more and more Christians have now 
been more vocal that they are Christian and have joined us in our prayer group. So we have a prayer group once a week where we gather together and we pray for the employees and the, and the leadership of the firm. Is that over lunch break or when do you do that? It's first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. We usually uh, like to do it first thing in the morning because the best way to start your day is in prayer. And it really sets the tone. And I had a, a young man say to me the other day that because we prayed in the morning, because we prayed, he was in this spirit through most of the day, and he went to a client dinner, and he was so engaged in the spirit at the time that this guy came in, was saying all this horrible stuff. He wanted to leave, but he felt God pushing him to stay. And then before you knew it, he had a conversation with this guy, and the guy just came and puked out all his own brokenness mm. around his divorce that he's experiencing, and it allowed the young man to minister to him in that wow. moment. It was a client of ours. Yeah. And he ended up ministering in that moment to the man's brokenness around his own marriage, and he said the prayer in the morning positioned him yeah. you know, in his mind and in, in, his, in, his, in his ways to to press into this man the glory of God and to to declare, you know, Jesus the healer. And so, yeah, I mean, so many Christians have come up and said, hey, you know, you're really showing us what it looks like to be in faith in the workplace. And yeah. so that's not something I was expecting. Mm-hmm. It was not on my mind. Um, I was really um, focused on, you know, non-Christians. But um, it was, you know, another awesome thing that God does. Where do you see Jesus in the finance industry? Where do you see Jesus on Wall Street? So Jesus is in in the people. Jesus is in me. Jesus is in, in the, the other Christians. But I see G- Jesus most, most noticeable in, in the love, in the light, in the darkness. And what I mean by that is there's a, when you're in a system— when you're in a worldly system like Wall Street, which is completely fed off ego and pride and greed, which it is, and you know everything is, is dictated by uh, money and performance, it's a really hard place to operate for a long time and um, not have struggles. And so each day I see all sorts of darkness and I see all sorts of chaos. That, can, that comes and goes. And there's certain people with Christ in them that will step up and they will be the peace and the chaos. You know, they will be the love mm-hmm. and the darkness. And they, there's a lot of opportunities where things can get spun around very, very quickly. And so every day I know that I'm going to have an opportunity to show Jesus Mm-hmm. to to let Jesus in me come out and be that that peace in the chaos and to be that light in the darkness and people run around in this performance culture and will actually pretend you know you'll see people acting and it's it's common so people let it fly but it's important to let people know that you you can be you know who Christ says you are and you don't have to pretend to be something other than that. Mm. And so I tend to share a lot with people that, you know, I'm in the system, but not of the system. And I'm very clear with them on what that means. And so I see myself and other Christians who have Christ in them 
stepping out and praying for other people. I see him stepping out and being that peace, being out at client dinners and being there for that man who's broken down yep. because of a do- divorce he's going through. Um, another thing I'll, I'll share with you, which I, I think is important, is that I'm blessed by God to travel around the world for my work, so I get to go to a lot of different places. Over the last 25 years, I've been all over the world, and we typically travel in teams. And so as we travel in teams, we're also in airports, we're also in streets, we're also in restaurants, we're in a lot of places. And one thing that the Christians that you know are part of our prayer group and that we pray for, our pray with, um, I'm seeing these guys go out and be in Christ you know, for all those people. And um, we go out uh, from meetings in, let's say, London. And as we're going with a pack of believers and non-believers, you know, a mix of them, we'll stop and we'll pray for the homeless. We'll love on the homeless. And we'll, we'll show others what Christ looks like, what love looks like, you know. And, and it's not about just sitting down and, and doing something. It's about actually asking someone their yeah. name mm-hmm. and letting, letting them know they're seen and letting them know that they're loved and letting them know that they're valued. And, you know, whether that comes in the office or the, out of the office, it's something that um, I've noticed more and more Christ followers in our office doing. When things like that happen, when you are traveling, you respond to, you pray for a homeless person, or when, you know, when someone's coming to Christ in the conference room or whatever, do you ever experience pushback, ridicule, persecution? Does anybody ever come to you and say, Dave, stop with the Jesus stuff? I've never had anybody say, stop with the Jesus stuff. I've had many people challenge my my ways. I, I want to give you a, a, good, a recent example. Um, there's many of them, but you know, as you know, I have, a, I have a Bible on my desk. I have a cross on my desk, and I have a prayer book on my desk. And in our business, everyone wants to know your business. And so everyone, whether I know it or not, everyone knows what's on my desk. And so I've had people come around and, and pick up my Bible or pick up my prayer book and ask me, you know, do you really believe this? And, you know, we, we have a, a great mix of of every kind of faith and, and non-faith and um I get excited because that's always an opportunity. Um, I like I like to be challenged. I like to share the love of God, and I like I like to hear other people's views, and I like to share testimony. And I think the feedback I get the most when I get challenged is when the Holy Spirit gives me the words for that person. Because I'll take the few seconds to ask the Holy Spirit to give me the words. Mm. He always gives me the words. And the typical feedback I get when the challenge comes is, I've never heard anybody explain it to me that way before. Yep. We were in London at a big dinner. This was a couple months ago. And it was a, what, what we would call on Wall Street a power dinner. It was a big hedge fund in, uh, in London. And there was 10, 10 of us at the table, uh, half clients, half guys that I work with. Some of them you know, I know well, some of them I don't. And I'll try to describe it to the best of my ability, but to my right side, there was a Jewish guy I work with. To the left side was a Jewish guy who was a client. Um, on the other side of the table was the head client, who was a Muslim. And one other guy who was raised Christian but was mocking it. And then there was another guy, uh, two other guys, who I don't know, never spoke, so I'm not really sure what their stance on faith was. It's 9 o'clock at night. We were there till past midnight. We were there for three hours. The man, um, I didn't, 
I didn't start the conversation. I, I ended up being brought into the conversation. But one of the uh, clients was about to get married, and he started mocking the church. And somehow he brought, uh, he said he was raised Christian, but, you know, he started making fun of it and the whole church thing. And, you know, I could feel the guy on my right looking at me. Um, my clients, all my clients know my identity is in Christ. All the people I work with know my So there was no guessing how I was starting to feel. But again, it's opportunity. So he then brought Donald Trump into the conversation, and that's when um, I joined because they asked me. I didn't mm-hmm. join in on my own. They mm-hmm. brought me into the conversation. Again, I had been praying through the whole dinner for the Holy Spirit to give me words if I needed words. Um, it's important to know that you, even as you're speaking to somebody, you can still be praying. Mm. As you're listening to someone, a lot of times when I'm listening to someone going through something and I'm praying at the same time, you can listen and pray at the same time. It's being in the spirit. But this man brought up the subject with whether Donald Trump is a Christian or not. So he said, do you think, he asked me specifically, do you think Donald Trump is a Christian? And the Jewish man who works with me to the right and says to the guy who was mocking Christianity, this man next to me, pointing to me, is a man who walks on this earth as a Christian should. And so, you know, I quickly didn't want to go there because I don't like to talk about myself, but we started to get into the Bible. The Muslim man looks at me and says, I don't get it. I don't get any of it. Why would God, and I said, tell me, you know, let's, let's talk about this. And so he says, I don't understand why God would only speak to the Israelites. Like, weren't there other people on the planet at the time? Like, why wasn't God speaking to the African people? Like, why the Israelites? And so he really wanted to get back into the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. which was great because we had two Jewish men who were very serious about their faith. And so they started to participate on why they thought God was speaking to their people. And it was great because it ended up, you know, creating a bigger conversation. But then eventually it led, we got, you know, because then he started asking about the prophets and what the prophets were saying. And so eventually the conversation became, well, the prophets were pointing to Jesus. And so I got the opportunity to share in the Bible where the prophets are speaking about Jesus. And, you know, I ended up describing to them how in the Old Testament God was on the outside, but in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God lives on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will go, so he must come. And and I was explaining all this to him, and I wasn't really paying attention to them as, as I was trying to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And they, as soon as I was done, they were looking at me, and they said, I've never heard anybody explain it to me that way before. And the Jewish client on my left says to me, do you really believe Jesus is the Messiah? And I said in the midst of all my clients and colleagues, Jewish, atheist, Muslim, I said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And they were just staring in stillness. And I said, if you want to see if you know, believe Jesus is the Messiah, I suggest you ask him yourself. You don't have to take my word for it, but ask him. Ask him, God, you know, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, if you're the Messiah, reveal yourself to me. And it became a really loving conversation where, you know, typically people don't like to talk about politics or talk about religion or things like that. But I felt completely at peace in the conversation. And any opportunity for me to glorify God 
And I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that's going to sit there and love without the truth. I believe love and truth have to come together. And if there's backlash or if there's um, repercussions for me sharing my love for Jesus and my hope for them to meet Jesus, then, you know, that's just part of it. Hmm. But I, I want to give you that story because mm-hmm. um, being in the middle of a London of what we would call a Wall Street power dinner, mm-hmm. to be in the middle of the Jews and the Muslims and the atheists and, and declaring Christ as, yeah. as the Messiah is, is really um, exciting to me because it really gave them a different perspective yeah. on how, how to go about looking at faith. And it's not like it's not like the client turned and said this deal is off because we went to these forbidden topics. No, yeah. no, not at all. It yeah. actually strengthened our relationship. Yeah, because yeah. he he had, his his response was I'd never heard anybody explain it to me that way before. Wonderful. I'm gonna ask you one last question. When you're sipping coffee during fellowship hour after church on Sunday, what's interesting to you, and what are you gonna be chatting about? So things that are near and dear to my heart are prison ministry. I have a huge heart for the lost in the prison system. You know, many of those men and women and children, you know, grow up in circumstances that don't allow them to navigate the the, the justice system the way others can. And so they feel forgotten, they feel lost, and they experience great, great darkness. And so I have a huge heart for prison ministry and going into those places and just loving on them and letting them know that, you know, Jesus is with them even in the prison system. And the prison, prison ministries I work with um, are really focused on building the church with inside the prison walls because even though they're behind man-made walls, they can still be set free. And then, you know, obviously my wife and my children <laughs> are front and center and speaking their identity over them, encouraging them to do the same. And I've been so blessed to watch their faith grow. And even when you don't think your children are listening, they are. Even when you think your children are not watching, they are. So again, through action, not just through words, I really try to model you know, my Christ identity to them. And so there's many days and weeks where I see them walking you know, in their identity in Christ, which just really, really touches me deeply. And you know, my wife as well, she's just you know, phenomenal in, in that way. And so um, those are the things that I tend to focus on. Thank you, Dave, so much for sharing all of that. I don't know who's going to be listening to this. God knows every listener mm-hmm. of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to say a prayer, yeah. you know, right into your microphone, right into the hearts of anybody who's listening to this right now? Yeah. So Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us. And Lord, I just pray that whoever listens to this podcast receives a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, the Holy Spirit and fire that you sent, and that that indwelling of the Holy Spirit changes them from the inside out to be part of your kingdom and a part of your ways and not the worldly ways, and to come and change and to set people free and to be the love and the truth that Jesus came for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart. On the next episode... I would have to say the biggest part of it is that 
I realized that it's not all on my shoulders. And there's such a great saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And so, and that has sort of let me release and let me be me and, and be the comfortable, happy, competent person instead of a nervous wreck doing what I'm doing because I know that I'm not alone. I know that God and Jesus are with me. Thank you.